Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 118. We've got a great young star from Major League Baseball as our guest, um, a guy who's actually trained at CSP Florida um, since even before it existed, actually. He was about 14 when he started up with us, and I've really known him since 2014, so it's been cool seeing him through the, the amateur draft process all the way up to the big leagues and, and obviously trying to make a sustainable big league career now. Um, really just a super outgoing kid who's who is extremely bright and, and well-spoken, so this is going to be a great episode. Before we get to today's show, I want to quickly give you a heads up that registration is now open for our 2022 CSP Collegiate Elite Baseball Development Program. This event takes place at our Hudson, Massachusetts facility and runs from June 6, 2022 through August 12th. This will be the sixth year we've run the program. and Each year we've had pitchers move to Massachusetts from all over the country and abroad. This summer, we anticipate another awesome collection of motivated athletes who push each other to get better in conjunction with the same training opportunities and expertise we provide to our professional athletes. This program is a great fit for pitchers who need to prioritize development over just getting innings or exposure. In other words, it's a suitable replacement for those who need, still need to throw, but also need to do things like gain 20 pounds, learn a new pitch, sort out aches and pains, or improve their mobility. We've even had some post-surgical athletes who have come and participated in the program as part of their return to throwing program. Each athlete will begin with a thorough initial assessment um, on both the movement and the pitching side of things that will set the stage for individualized strength conditioning and throwing programs. We do speed and power testing, utilizing our Proteus motion device, and we integrate that in the assessment process and track it periodically throughout the summer to make sure that progress is being tracked consistently on an objective measure. Uh, your individualized programs will correspond to six days a week of training. Generally, four to, of the six days per week are double sessions with throwing in the morning and strength conditioning in the afternoons. Um, in our throwing programs, we integrate things like weighted ball work, long toss, bullpens, uh, video analysis. We'll use detail, detailed trackman breakdowns and high-speed camera work in these bullpens as well. Uh, pitchers also have the opportunities to throw live to hitters. And we've historically placed quite a few arms in the prestigious Cape Cod Baseball League late in the summer in light of some of the improvements they've made. We've also had several athletes over the years who have been drafted following participation in this program. It's really a, a perfect fit for a college uh, freshman right after his first year at school. Um, all athletes receive manual therapy with our licensed massage therapist or physical therapist, as well as nutritional guidance throughout the program. We also have recovery initiatives like Mark Pro and Normatech available to athletes if they choose to participate in those. And last but not least, we incorporate regular educational components for athletes on the why behind the training. You know, previously this is, you know, consists not just of staff presentations, but also calls and in-person meetings with major league players and, and established coaches from around the country. And the best part is that it'll take place in a really motivating environment where athletes can, can push each other to be the best they can be. And we, we optimize the situation so that you can help change the person. Um, we've seen some great results in this, and it's, it's one of my favorite things that we do each year. Um, if you're interested in learning more, you can reach out to us at CSPMASS, that's C-S-P-M-A-S-S, at gmail.com. Again, this program runs from June 6th through August 12th. It's a 10-week program, and you can learn more by reaching out to CSPMASS at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. 
whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic Greens can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for Sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to less than ideal on-the-road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Today's guest is a right-handed pitcher who attended Royal Palm Beach High School in Florida. He opted to forego a baseball scholarship to Vanderbilt and instead signed with the Cleveland Indians after they selected him with a 42nd overall pick of the MLB draft in 2015. Over 356 career minor league innings, he struck out 427 hitters against only 112 walks and posted a 2.65 ERA. At the end of the 2019 season, he was added to their 40-man roster. He made his major league debut at age 23 on August 22, 2020, striking out 10 batters in six innings. This was the second most by an Indians pitcher in a first major league start. He made eight appearances for the big league club that year and was added to their postseason roster. In 2021, he began the season as a member of Cleveland's starting rotation and made 24 starts in the years. He accumulated 136 strikeouts and 120 innings pitched. He's been an athlete at our Florida facility since his early in his teenage years, and it's been great to watch his development unfold. Please welcome to the show, Tristan McKenzie. All right, my man. Thanks for doing this. I'm, uh, I'm really excited. No. We've been talking about doing this for a long time. <laughs> I know. It's been a couple of months now, actually. I, I know. We, year. we should have pulled the trigger. So it gave us a lot of time to gather our thoughts. So no pressure. This better be awesome. <laughs> exactly. All right, man. So we, we, we go back a long way. I met you first when you were 14. I'm pretty sure it was when when Cap, for those of you who know Cap is Brian Kaplan, uh, CSP Florida co-founder, who had a facility that you were training with before you even opened, and he's now uh, a major league assistant pitching coach for the Phillies. But you started up with Cap, I think, when you were 14. Is that when I met you, maybe? 15? Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I met Cap uh, a couple years before that. Yeah. But he brought me up to see you my freshman year. Uh, he brought me yeah. up with uh, some other some other talent. Mm-hmm. Uh and that was my first introduction to to you as a person and to just kind of like how big baseball was and how big and how important it was to like 
I saw the pro guys in, in Crescia at the time, just how important it was to their careers and kind of just allowed me to get a little insight as to what the future might hold for me. And I, I'm not going to lie, man, you were, you were a deer in headlights because you were a South Florida guy. I, had you seen yep. the snow before that? Because you came up, I want to say it was, it was cold. I don't think you even owned a winter jacket, did you? <laughs> no, I actually, so yeah. I think we came up in December, maybe? Something it like that. Cool. It was it was like later in the year, like yep. the heat of the off season. And I literally bought, I went into like Hollister and bought like a thicker <laughs> puffer coat the week before. Uh, it's in a, in a way we were preparing you for pitching in Cleveland in April, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you I'm guys credit, always had a feeling. Yeah, credit to you for actually sticking with it because a lot of people probably would have run that that South Florida blood coming north in the wintertime. But um, but I think it probably segues into like you know you you had a non traditional development path because um, you know I, Joe Capo was joked he was like I was public enemy number one when I would shut Tristan down in the fall because everybody yeah. had a showcase they wanted you out every scout wanted to see you throw but um, you were a baseball only guy but you weren't like a year round throwing guy talk to me about like when you learned how important that was and how you, how you attacked it uh, so through working with Cap and kind of just going through the training program uh, coming up to see you even. Uh, he talked about how professional guys, especially guys when they start to get further along in their minor league careers, as well as getting into their big league careers, how they have to manage their workload, uh, because baseball is their life, uh, from usually from the middle or around Thanksgiving until the end of the season, these guys are throwing, uh, and early on in my career, I was expressing the importance of maintaining your body and not just throwing because you can throw being conscious of the innings you're throwing, being conscious of the workload you're putting on your body and being able to manage that throughout a year span so that you can kind of regulate it and, and move forward and, and learn your body. Nice. So, you know, when, when, when was the first time you actually had to kind of like fight that uphill battle? Cause we both know there's always like pressures to play in the fall. And, 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 you know, I've seen it like we're walking out of our facility. It's like, Oh my gosh, there's fall ball game going on and it's November Already. 20th. And, you know, yep. high school season in Florida, I think at the time when you were in high school, it was, it was like January 15th, it started. So you played till Thanksgiving and then you're stuck in this holding pattern of like, do I shut down for six weeks and roll into high school trials rusty? Do I keep throwing? Like, wh when did you have to make those hard decisions? How old were you when the pressure really came on? So I would say early on, honestly, early on in high school, when, when Cap told me, look, if you want to play at the next level, you have to give your arm a break and kind of give your give your body a chance to recover and recoup so that when you hit the spring you hit you hit the ground running you're not out there fighting an uphill battle so to say uh where your body's a little run down from just throwing all year uh i feel like that was the first time that i truly got let it my eyes my eyes open to it but i'd say that the time when it hit me the hardest was my junior year right before the the world wood bat in jupiter where mm -hmm. usually most of the time i'll go to that tournament just to watch uh and this was my opportunity to play in it and there's going to be a ton of scouts out there. This is right before my, my draft. Uh, and I was just super excited to go out there and play with some of my friends. And then, again, to try and prove myself, uh, go out there and be like, I want to be a name amongst names at this big tournament. Uh, and just talking to Cap and talking about my future and, and so on and so forth. He was like, do you want to blow your arm out here? Do you want to go out there and improve yourself at 16 at the World Wood Bat? Or do you want to prove yourself in the draft, prove yourself in spring? get drafted and then prove yourself in the big leagues. And those words kind of rang home to me because it wasn't always the short-term goal. That was the aspect. It was always the long-term goal and, and playing the long game. And I think that's what allowed me to kind of come to, to the realization that this is what's good for me. And this is what's best for my career. 
And I, you know, you were a good example because, you know, I, I, I joke with uh, Sean Cole, Sean, Sean, I don't think he even invited you to term of stars, right? You're between your junior and senior <laughs> no, year. No, I didn't. No, and I you wound up at, at, I always busted his chops. I think he missed out on you and he missed out on Lazardo too. Um, and he always, he always wore it like, yeah, I, I missed those ones, but you know, you, you weren't kind of in that team USA pool. You did go to area codes and, and pitch well there, but I always say, man, like you at team USA, they cut Mike Trout, <laughs> you know, they, uh, Tyler, really? Beattie, they, really? cut, they did way back in the day. Um, in fact, when, when I was in that selection room, that was one of the things they told the kids that they cut. And, you know, you see kids that come out of that room that are first rounders and, and Tyler Beattie was a, was a kid who got cut there and it was a huge motivator for you. Did you kind of have that chip on your shoulder going into senior year that you didn't maybe get that, that crazy love that you, you know, deserve you were at area codes and that was legit, but you know, maybe not quite uh-huh. in that upper echelon consideration. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So going through that process, uh, there was another prospect on my team at the time. His name's Austin Smith. Uh, but literally two peas in the pod the whole summer. We went to area codes together. We went to perfect game together. Uh, he actually got invited to like Under Armour. He got invited to the Tournament of Stars. And like for me, being so close to him, being like feeling like we were kind of two kids on the same path, but he got invited to one or two more events than I did. It kind of hurt my pride. But I mean, looking back on it, I feel like it's all just a, a step in the journey, you know? Yeah, it's it's a motivator. Um, but I'm curious, do you think that that helped you? Because you think about it, you, you play for some of those teams and, you know, you're, you got an instant, you know, extra six, maybe even eight weeks on the end of your season. You know, most guys in that realm can kind of shut down after area codes. Maybe it's August 5th, August 10th, something like that. And you take your downtime and you can ramp up a little bit sooner to prep for a senior year. Like sometimes you keep doing those things into the fall and all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's, it's November 1st and you're just shutting down and everything's pushed back. Do you, did you get an earlier start on throwing like and development going into your senior year that you thought like maybe helped with some of that momentum going into the draft? Uh, I think for me, shutting down a little earlier and kind of getting the buildup on the earlier side of things leading into season definitely helped me. Uh, especially when I got into the later years of my, my high school career and I started to really develop below. Uh, I feel like a lot of my development happened in those, those one or two months where I took a, a complete break from baseball and allowed my body to kind of recoup and recover. And I felt like it was always a learning process going into season, like seeing how my body felt, seeing how my stuff played a little bit different in the spring as, a, as opposed to like late summer, early fall. Uh, I think it was all just me, me getting to a point where like, I can roll into spring and I feel comfortable that my below is going to be where it's going to, it's going to be at a spot where I'm, I'm comfortable with it. My curveball is going to have the shape that I want. Um, my changeup is going to feel good and I'm going to roll into spring and feel like I can go out there and be healthy for my whole season. It's a big deal. Um, you know, and so I'm curious, we kind of talked to maybe about one of the things in this next question, like obviously you spent a lot of time talking about what the yearly calendar should look like both in the present year. And then also in the years ahead, but I'm curious, do you think there were other competencies that, you know, whether it was Cap or, you know, your dad, you know, I know your your, your coach in high school was a, was a former big leader as well. Like, were there certain competencies that you look back and you say, like, this was a game changer for me, whether it was in the context of work ethic or pitch design or anything like that? I think, honestly, I think it was a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. I think just my upbringing and, and how my, my parents raised me to, to kind of put my head to the grindstone and, and really get mm-hmm. to work really just matched my work ethic when it came to trusting cap, trusting you when it came to my, my career and understanding how much work it was going to take to put in to, to get to where I am now. Um, and then on top of that, I think just talking to my former big league coach, he kind of explained to me, he's like, this isn't the end goal. 
this isn't where you want to end. This isn't where you want your career to, to be the highlight of. Uh, you want to go out there and, and really use this as a learning tool to, to catapult you to wherever the, the next step is. And you know what? I, I always, you know, I, your parents are the most wonderful people ever. Stan and Shereen, give, give them a shout out. Um, but I always remember distinctly a conversation with your dad. It was like the off season of 14 and 15. So your, your, your senior year, you know, and, and, you know, your dad is, is, was, was tough on you in the best ways possible. I remember him telling me Very a story true. about like the time you and TJ went to go take ground balls and you were dogging it and he just, you know, he's like, all right, we're leaving. We're done. No more of that. Yeah. And, and so it was the right kind of, you know, not overzealous, but I respect him so much is, in that conversation, he's like, I've, I've taken him as far as I can take him. You know, I'm passionate about the game. I love the game, but I, I need to, you know, kind of step aside and, and, and let people who, who have seen this game, you know, differently than I have, you know, kind of facilitate his development. Um, was that ever a conversation that you guys had to have, or did your dad just have the, like the, the feel, you know, to, to just know when the time was right? Uh, I think, uh, kid, kids and their father's butt heads, especially when it comes over mm-hmm. sports and, and they're your coach. Uh, but I feel like me and have him have a great understanding. And I feel like, especially going through the process my senior year, dealing with scouts, dealing with uh, kind of the ups and downs that come with baseball and the stress of the draft and college and all that. I feel like we came to an understanding of like, we're we're all in on this. So there's not going to be any secrets on my side uh, and there's not going to be secrets on the other side. And I feel like he just really imparted to me like, look, dude, if this is what you want to do, you have to, you have to commit to it. But not to say you can't you can't walk around like you have all the answers. Just like I know that my experience takes me up to this point. I've gotten you this far, but I trust these other people to to help you continue your your education in the game, and you have to do the same. You know, and I, I look back, and I don't think I appreciated it in the moment, just because I think we were kind of still building our maybe our sample size of high round picks. But I look back at you, and, and one of the things that I I always respect, and I think it's one of the things that's it's, it's helped you a lot in your journey is you were never really like enamored of the courtship process, right? Like you loved baseball, but you didn't get caught up in, I got to meet with every advisor and I've got to meet with every scout. And, you know, when's my glove deal coming? And like, it it just, it was almost a distraction. Like you wanted to be a kid, you want to play baseball, you want to hang out with your friends, play video games, whatever it was. And that's something that I've seen that's very consistent you know, among some of these guys who have come out of high school and done really well, I, I, I get nervous when I see the guys that, that they get just so excited for every single meeting, just because the second you get to pro ball, like you're, you're one of a couple hundred in, in each organization. Yep. So if you, if you're not, you know, ready to kind of take that step back and be challenging, do you, do, were you aware you were doing that in the moment? Like, did you, did you have like a conscious back in my mind? Hey, I got to find a way to just tone down the stress and be myself or, you know, was it something that was just your personality? I, I think a lot. I think my personality played a lot into it. Just me going out there and not really being worried about a ton of it because I felt like at the time talking to just going through the process, I tried to talk to as many people as possible that, that had been there before me, uh, guys that had gotten drafted, guys that had gone to college. Uh, I tried to get as, as much information as possible. And 95% of the feedback that I got from everybody was, dude, it goes quick. Make sure you appreciate it. Make sure you enjoy it. So I felt like a lot of when I went through that process, it was allowing my parents to kind of take the reins for some of the, the off field stuff and me going going and focusing on what I love to do and what I was what what I what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Is that the advice you would you would pass forward is like enjoy the journey to them or is there other stuff that you would say that, that you know there's going to be we get a lot of you know college bound or professional bound seniors that listen to this stuff and they often listen to it, to it with their parents. What would you say to that? you know, that, that senior who's got a, a big year ahead of him in the next couple months. 
Uh, I'd say one one of my more favorite quotes right now uh, that I that I think I use a lot pertaining to baseball is is be where your feet are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like if you allow the scouts, the the agents, the the potential glove deals, the potential shoe deals, or mm-hmm. even the thought of playing in the big leagues, uh, like distract you from from where you are right now, you're not you're doing you're kind of doing yourself a disservice because all the stuff that you're excited for now only gets bigger and better the more you kind of keep your head down and push to it. We interrupt this episode with a quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an NSF certified all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients designed to support your body's nutritional needs. I use this product daily and a ton of our athletes do as well. Head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and claim my special offer today for 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. I'd encourage you to give it a shot too, especially because of this great offer and because it gives you peace of mind knowing that you're covering all your nutritional bases. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y to get that special offer. If you, if you were looking back on your, your, yourself, you know, you were, you were a young draft pick. I think you were, you were still 17 when you were drafted, right? You're an August birthday. So what were, what were the biggest adjustments that you had to make? Like, obviously we both know, like if you're throwing 95 in high school, you know, particularly you, you've got a, a ton of extension, your, your heater gets on guys really, really quickly. There's some, some funk move to it. You know, you had a, a real good change up in high school. Like, you know, that stuff plays in, in, in high school really easy. And then it gets a lot harder at the next level. What were the biggest adjustments that you had to make in the translation or the transition, I should say, into minor league baseball? Like what were the, the, the hardest things to, to kind of take on? I think, I think almost all of it for me was, was off field stuff. Uh, I felt like, as you said, if, if you have 95, it's going to play whether you're in high school baseball or whether you're in professional baseball. Mm-hmm. But I think it's when you're home, in high school and you have mom and dad to cook for you, you have somebody to, to kind of worry about washing your clothes for you or kind of worry about a lot of other stuff. Uh, when you go out and you're in professional baseball and you kind of have to be an adult and there's a lot of stuff that you have to handle on your own, uh, not letting it detract you from going out there and being the best baseball player you can be. I feel like finding a way to balance your off-field stuff and your on-field stuff and figuring out like what your body needs to, to go out there and perform, uh, how to communicate with, your your trainers with your coaches and figuring out ways to to make the transition easier i think those are stuff that i would try and impart into my younger self just so that the transition wasn't so stark from having almost a a very very close-knit support group to uh and uh, a whole different situation where you don't even know who you can trust almost i know there's there's been a lot that's been made of like the transition from you know, throwing on a seven day rotation in high school or, or college for that matter to go into pro ball, right? You, some guys do the six day rotation. Some guys go piggyback. Sometimes it's just, Hey, we're going to go to a five day, but you're only going to throw two to three innings the first time around. I mean, you know, you, you, you went through it. You, you know, you obviously dealt with some injury stuff at, at one point in 2019, but you know, you did get up and throw 150 innings, you know, at really at age 19 in, in 2017. So I'm curious, like, what did you do? What do you think helped? What would you have done differently as you, you built those up to kind of, and you're, and you're obviously still learning about how to do it at the, the next level too. What were the lessons learned that, that you liked and didn't like? I think through, through pro ball and, and kind of growing into a five, five day rotation, you learn how your body feels a lot more rapidly uh, as opposed to a seven day. I feel like there's a lot of, I wouldn't call them off days, but there's a lot of gaps in a seven day 
mm-hmm. uh, especially for like a high schooler or, or a college guy because you have class, you have other stuff to worry about. Yeah. So you're not consistently working on baseball and seeing how your body feels. Uh, there may be a day where you sat in class for a couple hours and you're a little stiff, whereas in a five-day rotation, you're throwing every day, you're out on the field every day, you're moving every day. So you're a little more conscious of how your body feels day in and day out. Uh, I feel like the big thing for me going into the five-day was figuring out ways to, to replicate it. Uh, and when I say, and when I say replicate it, I mean, replicate my good days, replicate what I did, whether it's a routine standpoint, what I ate in the morning to what I ate after the, after the game or the day, the day prior, figuring out what made my starts more consistent and figuring out a way to, to be at, be at a high level, uh, on Monday, on, on Tuesday, when I throw my pen or on Wednesday, when I throw my pen. And then again, on Saturday, when I pitch. So, and, and as you've worked into like that five day rotation, I mean, have you understood like how to consolidate stress that, hey, we know day zero is going to be hard. We know day two is going to be pretty hard, too. The last thing I need to do is, you know, find a bunch of other days for, in there where, I, where I dig that. Long deeper. And yeah, all this other stuff. exactly. So you got to have like the hills and valleys. So we, we talk a lot about like a high low model. Um, you know, maybe that, that's actually a good segue. We'll probably get ahead of ourselves. But like talk to me what a, what a five day rotation looks like for you. Obviously, day zero, you're going to go out, you're going to pitch, you know, throw a hundred pitches, whatever it is. What's day one look like, both from like a throwing, training, recovery standpoint? What, what do you like to do? So usually day one is more of a a strength lift for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to kind of rebuild my muscles. I want to I want to move strong and feel like I'm getting some of that that lactic acid that I like to call. But I I want to move my body and feel like I'm mm-hmm. I'm getting some some work in. Uh, day but day one from a throwing aspect is usually a lot lighter on the arm. Mm-hmm. I'll still stretch it out to maybe 120, 150, depending on how I'm feeling, but it's definitely a, a much lower intensity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my day two is usually my, my bullpen day and bullpen days are usually a heavier throwing day and lighter on the body. Mm-hmm. Um, day three is usually a moderate day kind of in between both from a throwing mm-hmm. aspect. Yep. Uh, and I'll usually lift on that day as well. Mm-hmm. But that day I feel like I'm more trying to move the weight quickly, more trying yeah. to read, regain some of that that explosiveness that i'm trying to lead into to day zero with and day five i usually take really light i'll get back to 90 but i'll really step on some of them just to get the feel of being short and being explosive and being and being strong and then have that flow right into my my pitching day yeah i mean i think that's key if you're gonna if you have day zero and day one and day two with the pen be tough you got to make sure that your three and four is is attacked the right way and like i think you nailed it by saying hey like that day three lift is you got to leave the gym feeling refreshed, right? It's move weights fast. Exactly. Don't, don't destroy yourself with a crazy amount of volume. That's, that's the way it works. I think we've traditionally seen guys that, you know, they get into trouble where they, they throw on day zero, they do a really challenging, like lower body lift on day one. Then it's like a pen and an upper body day lift. And then day three, they'll go out and like run a bunch of gassers and just bury themselves. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, day four, I'm just going to pray that I can actually recover. And, I'm going down, 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 yeah, down, down, down. Yeah. No time yeah, to come back up. sometimes the best way to get out of a hole is to stop digging, right? Yep. <laughs> so, all right, so sw- switching gears a little bit, but it, it actually maybe plays on some of the lifting stuff. Um, you know, we've, we've had a lot of good jokes over the years about this. Um, I, I, pro- I, I probably have some of the best skinny jokes in the game, thanks in large part to our relationship, but you've always been very patient with me and, and put up with my dad jokes. But you, you, you're defying the mass equals gas approach, and you, you got a pretty good counterpart in, in Jacob deGrom kind of helping in this, in this cause. And I have my thoughts on it and I've learned a lot from being around you. What do you think the reason is that you're able to throw as hard as you can, you know, at, at, at your body weight? And, and, you know, and that's why you're proven that it's, 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 it's getting more and more sustainable. 
Uh, I'd say the biggest thing for me is, is learning how to move with my limbs, but making everything be in sync. I think the the biggest thing that allows me to throw hard is figuring out how to use my levers and how to kind of time them up. I feel like a lot of times when, when stuff isn't timed up, whether it's uh, my lower half with my upper half, or if my upper half's a little aggressive and it's I'm kind of sliding down the mound, my stuff doesn't play the same. I feel like when I get to a consistent pace, a consistent rhythm, I'm able to time my lower half, my upper half up and, and stuff works well. I think that's when I get my, my whippiness or a lot of my electricity so to so to speak yeah you know when i look at this whole like equation you know the first thing i would say and this is this is another cap bit of wisdom is don't coach the different out of somebody and you know i think we have this this perspective in baseball unfortunately probably more so from a mechanical thing but you know i think from a strength addition standpoint we've, we've always just assumed that heavier is bigger um you know for you know chris sale talking about when he got closer to 200 he felt awful it's definitely not for others and for everyone, I should say, even though it may be for the majority of folks. Um, I think it comes down to like, can you, can you be strong and athletic at, the, at your body weight? And, you know, you're a guy who's, who's very elastic naturally. You're a very, very springy guy. You know, we, we joke, it's made easier to make a, a fast guy strong than it is to make a strong guy fast. And I think what people probably overlook when they see you having like a slighter frame is like you move some big boy weights. Like I've seen you do single leg stuff with, two plates on each side of a safety squat bar. I've seen you barbell hip thrust, 600 pounds. Like you, uh, you've always put the work in, in the weight room. And when I see those freaky elastic guys, you DeGrom, some of these guys that are doing it at lower body weights, you know, generally your concern is that, you know, the, the tendon is so stiff that the muscle doesn't have the strength to support it. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, you can get it done if you, if you, if you're lifting some big boy weights and, you know, kind of do what you need to do. Um, you know, what I, what I love to see at 180 probably, but, um, <laughs> but too. I don't think, but yeah, I don't think it's a, um, I don't think it's a fight to get there because you're, you're kind of changing the narrative a little bit. And it's, and it's, you know, to your credit, you've, you've made me really rethink how heavy athletes need to be. It's not, it's not for everybody. So, um, you know, I, I wonder if we'd, we'd mess you up if, if we tried to sell out for the dream too, too much, but, um, you just can't get lazy with your strength work. Um, and, and, and maybe speak to that. Like, how did your velocity change as that strength happened? And, you know, there was some, some low hanging fruit at 14, 15, 16, but like, where did you see it kind of gradually climbing? Was there, was there a certain time where it kicked in? Uh, honestly. So I think my full season 17 is when I saw almost a real switch mm-hmm. into uh, some, some real strength. And from, for me, real strength translated into consistent below mm-hmm. uh, because I felt like in high school, I moved decent. I I had good mechanics, but I feel like once I got into professional baseball and I really started to understand how my body was moving and how to kind of draw some strength from the muscles that I, I trained and incorporated into my motion, I felt like I was able to see consistent 93s or consistent 94s in the fourth and fifth inning when in high school or when I was a little bit younger in my career, I'd have to really reach back for those. And now I can kind of get them with ease. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like a lot of my workout regimen and being strong in the weight room and feeling like if I'm moving this way quick, if I'm feeling good physically, then I don't necessarily know how much my weight matters. Mm-hmm. I think the That's goal is where I was at. There's a, there's a guy named Dan John in the strength industry community who always says the goal is to keep the goal as the goal. And, and and we always have to like resign ourselves to like, it's about being good at baseball and staying healthy while doing so. Um, so you got to kind of emotionally you separate yourself from what like, you want guys to look like, and, and we both know you've been in plenty of major league locker rooms. There's some, you know, crazy low right shoulders, like really flat upper backs. 
you know, you see guys that contort their bodies in all kinds of crazy positions. And, and some guys are, you know, successful in part because of characteristics and traits just as much as like true athleticism. So, um, so maybe, maybe speak to a little bit about how your pitch mix has evolved over the years. And, and as part of this, since we're a video format, you got to show off your hand. I know this is like a big thing. So Tristan I'll has I'll get the, it in there. The, the alien hands. Yeah. If you can fit it on screen. Um, so, so talking about first off is it's, it's, it's a Pedro Martinez hand. Um, and, you know, I think everybody always assumes that can make things easier. Have you found that like that, you know, it allows you to impart different kinds of forces to baseball. Are there times when like having huge fingers kind of gets in the way and makes things more cumbersome? Uh, for me, I feel like everybody has a different way that they hold the baseball. Even, even if you go, Hey, how do you hold your four seam? Everybody may hold it just a little bit slightly different, just based on how they how the ball feels in their hands. Uh, I think I've always gotten to the point where I try to make the ball feel comfortable in my hands mm-hmm. and almost match match my hands and match my fingers. So when I hold my four seam, I always have it so that the seam is uh, the horseshoe is towards my middle finger mm-hmm. so that the seam isn't like this. And I'm not dominating the ball a little bit where the seam is down under my, my, my middle finger. It's the opposite where the, uh, the seam rides up and it matches my finger pads so that I feel like I can get the ball. Uh, yeah. at the same level, at the same height like this, as opposed to sometimes when it's the other way, I, I have a tendency to dominate it with my, with my middle finger. Uh, you, I feel like a you, lot of, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I want you to I was going to, I was going to say, yeah. I feel like a lot of my pitches, uh, go based on how they feel in my hand and, and yeah. the, the consistency. And like, so talk to me about the change up. Was that something that just feels, you know, natural to you? Has it changed over the years? Cause I know it was, it was a, it was a real weapon for you and, in like high school and you've kind of changed like your usage of it around over the course of time. How has that adjusted for you? So for me, my chain up was very big for me growing up from Mm -hmm. the age of 12 on. Uh, And then once I got into high school, probably around 15 or 16 and my velo really started to jump up. So I was probably like upper seventies, low Mm eighties when I was a freshman. And then that turned into 81 to maybe 84 my sophomore year. Uh, but I was making big strides in that in that regard, and I kind of lost feel for the changeup out front. I had a tendency to really try and throw the heck out of my fastball, and I'd stay behind the ball like this. And then when I'd go to throw my changeup, for me to see action, I wouldn't stay behind the ball like I would like I was used to. And at a lower view, I was able to kind of see some run. I would try and like really get on the inside of it. And I feel like as I got as I got older, as I got a little stronger, uh, my pitch mix has just gone more towards what I see I can get power power strikes out of uh my fastball my curveball they've always been my strengths and I feel like as I grew up and as I learned myself a little bit more I realized what guys were swinging at what guys were what guys tendencies were when they when they saw me and what they what they tended to swing at so I I gravitated more towards those two and then I introduced the slider because I wanted something to kind of split the difference between those two yeah and conceptually, are your slider and your curveball totally different to you? Like, is the curveball very much about getting to the front of the baseball sliders, just grip it and rip it? Or how do you look at them? They're, so they feel completely different in my hand. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's my slider is almost a, a split pitch between my fastball and my curveball. I feel like my fastball, I'm definitely trying to, like, ride the heck out of it and stay right behind it and have it spin straight. And my curveball, my hand is directly on the side of it. And I'm trying to get on the exact opposite side and be on the, the whole front of the ball. And I feel like my slider's kind of in between and I mm-hmm. still try and get to the front, but I'm more on the side of the ball like this, mm-hmm. as opposed to being directly behind it, like my fastball. So That's it's awesome. like smack dab in the middle. 
I feel like you were, I think you, you might have had out a couple of days before, but there was a AJ Ramos, Lou Trevino discussion on the exact same stuff. Um, that was, it was like an organic cutter slash slider discussion that happened for about 30 minutes in the middle of the gym floor. And guys were just crowding around, like taking mental notes and grabbing baseball so they could try it. So, um, we'll have to, we'll have to do a cutter round table or something, but, um, maybe build, build on some of this stuff. Like what, what for you are the crucial next steps in your development? Obviously you talk about maybe getting away from the change up and going to, you know, a slider now, like wh- where do you feel like you need to, you know, to kind of continue to breast compress to be, uh, to progress to be that 180 inning guy? What's what's the next step for you? I think more just understanding myself and understanding what makes me good and what makes me bad and figuring out a way to kind of consistently get to the good. I feel like everybody's trying to do that. And I feel like it's more, when I look back at, at games where I'm good, I'm using all three of my pitches to both sides of the plate, to both hitters. Uh, I'm spotting up, up and down. And then I look at games where I'm bad and necessarily say my my fastball velo isn't what it what it usually is and that could be a body thing that could be a longevity thing where i'm going in maybe my body feels a little underwhelmed today so understanding my body in that regard and maybe using my off speed a little bit more that day i feel like a lot of my development once getting into the big leagues was more understanding myself and how i can use my stuff whether it's a plus plus stuff or or c plus stuff to go out there and get outs because these are big league hitters so you have to figure out ways to get outs Absolutely. So we always do a, a lightning round at the end of each uh, show. And honestly, I don't even know why we call it the lightning round, because you can be as long as you want with your answers. But <laughs> we got we got to ask him anyway. I got to come up with a new name for it. But you got um, you got to think a yes or no question. That'll that's that's what I can do it. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we give like three word answers. But you've been around a lot of accomplished veteran pitchers at CSP since you were 14. Right. So you've rubbed elbows with signing award winners. You've gotten to throw against big league hitters as well. You know, I'm, I'm curious, what are the, you know, the few important lessons that you really felt like, you know, I mean, you, you, you trained alongside Sam Fold, who's now a major league baseball GM. You know, he's one of your first like training partners, you know, working out in the olden days um, before CSP even existed. So what were the lessons that you learned from, from talking with some of the big dogs that, you know, kind of been there, done that? Uh, honestly, I try to pick their brains about everything. So I've gotten things from, from pitching tips in terms of like grips and how they hold stuff to, just how they dealt with failure in, in double A and in, in the big leagues. Cause I feel like as, as a, as a baseball player, you have to understand that that's a part of the game. And for a lot of guys, uh, especially me, it was, it was hard for me kind of coming up. Uh, the big leagues was the first time that I had seriously failed. I had, I'd had bad starts. I'd had a couple rough patches in, in the minors, but failing the big leagues is a whole different thing just because of how magnified it was. So I, I tried to ask a lot of guys just, how did it feel to make your debut? How did it feel when you had a bad start to, to go up and down? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of that information goes kind of overlooked because of how big this, how big the big leagues is and mm-hmm. how much it's dead set on just performance. And a lot of the stuff that they, that they, they explained to me was figuring out ways to, to feel comfortable, figuring out ways to get away from the game, to, to kind of reset and get back to, to neutral and get back to you. So that when you do go out there, you're going out there with a fresh head and a, and a clear mind. And you were an interesting. I remember joking with us a cap a lot of the years. It's like we were almost at times like rooting for you to struggle because it, it didn't come until later. It's like, hey, this guy needs like we need him to get to double A so he gets hit around a little bit because it's going to he's going to learn from it. Um, and it, it just it, it came in later. So it's you're right. It's hard to pick that up, you know, almost on the big league side for the first time. Um, all right. So building on maybe the last one, who are your favorite pitchers to watch? And why? Uh, DeGrom, obviously. Scherzer, obviously. Uh, 
I'll, I'll stop right there and I'll explain those two and then I'll give you like yeah. one more. All right. Um, so those two specifically, Scherzer specifically for his, his attitude and his demeanor on the mound. I feel like a lot of guys try to recreate it. I feel like you see it through college baseball guys kind of talk themselves and giving themselves the, the Scherzer, the Scherzer kind of aura. But I think it just is such a, a testament to who he is as a competitor and mm. how he, how he goes about his work. And I've seen him in the gym and I know exactly how he is on the mound is exactly how he is when he's lifting yeah. weights. He's out there trying to be the best him for himself and for his family yeah. and, and for the guys around him. So I feel like it's, it's the little stuff that you pick on in, in that regard and yeah. that I try to apply it in my game. Nice. What do you like um, about DeGrom? What do you see some of yourself in DeGrom in terms of just like the long levers, the laxity, the, the elasticity, all that? DeGrom's a guy that I try and I, I'll try and pick pieces of his delivery out and try and apply it mm-hmm. to mine. Um, not necessarily to say I'm the same pitcher or to say that my levers work exactly the same. It's more just like if I see something that I feel like I can duplicate and it's not too far off from what I already do, I'll try and apply it because he's somebody that's doing it at the highest level and he's a, arguably the best in the game at what he does. Right on. All right. Who's this? Who's the mysterious third candidate? <laughs> you, 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 piqued, you piqued my interest. <laughs> um, well, honestly, I don't, I wouldn't say I have like Bieber. Bieber is like one of my, one of my favorite, favorite pitchers to watch specifically because of, I just enjoy watching how he moves. I feel like it's very different from how I move, but I feel like I'm able to, a lot of the cues that he uses when he pitches, when it comes to throwing his fastball and throwing his curveball, the same as mine. So I'm able to see kind of myself from a different aspect almost. Nice. Um, so my last question was going to be advice to a, a teenage Tristan McKenzie, but I'm going to, I'm going to expand it and say, you can like also make this advice to a, a teenage baseball player who, who might be listening to this podcast while in the car with their parents on the way to practice. So they got the first one. Yeah. The first one would be eat more. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the same advice we give to 24 year old Tristan McKenzie. So it's, it's uh-huh. a, it's, it's a different one, but you know, things that, you know, like obviously baseball was a, was a passion that you and your dad and your brother and, and your mom obviously too all shared, um, you know, any specific messages for people like that who are, who are trying to enjoy the journey on, on the path to a big destination like this? Uh, I'd say one, enjoy the journey. Uh, I feel like a lot of people take it for granted because the big leagues is the ultimate goal. They want to get to the Hall of Fame. They want to do stuff once they get to the big leagues and they kind of overlook the little stuff in terms of like dealing with failure in the minor leagues so that when you get to the big leagues, you're used to it. Dealing with the bus trips, learning how to to communicate with your teammates, uh, learning how to communicate with the staff around you and the little things that actually make you a big leaguer. I feel like uh, the minor leagues taught me a lot about that. I feel like kind of going through my process in terms of the draft and interacting with scouts and interacting with uh, agents, figuring out who you are as a baseball player and trying to live that on the field, trying to live that off the field and, and carry it with you through the minors and carry it with you into the big leagues. Cause I feel like this, this journey from, from high school for me to, to the big leagues has been such a long one. And I feel like mm-hmm. there's been so much that I've learned from other people. I feel like always be, be ears open. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. And I'll give you, I'm not just going to sing your praises because we're on here and I'm I'm on a board sign trying to, but, you know, I I think, you know, one of the things that's always impressed me is you stayed the same person, you know, in the the right way, right? You've grown, obviously you've matured, but, you know, you're still the guy who will take time to talk to a 14 year old kid. You're still running camps, you know, back in your hometown in the off season. You're, you know, you could be governor of CSB just because, you know, every afternoon there's, there's 15 bro hugs before you leave the facility because you're, you're such an endeared part of our community. So I, I really do respect that because not everybody stays, you know, kind of true to their roots like that. So big, big credit to you and, and your parents for getting you to that point. 
Thank you, Eric. Um, I appreciate it. I'm sure I'm sure I'm, my mom, mom will love to hear that one too. Uh, hi, Shereen. Hi, Stan. We love you. Um, so you got some good social media. You're pretty active there uh, on Twitter. It's at T underscore easy E-A-Z-Y 24. And then on Instagram, it's uh, it's Tristan dot McKenzie. And you've got some cool stuff. What did you do? You did some stuff with Baseball Lifestyle, right? On the, the clothing front? Yep. Yep. Uh, I did. We, we actually had a little collaboration. They let me kind of design my own line of their clothes. Uh, and nice. I just tried to go with something that was baseball lifestyle ask and it's something that that i believe in and that i that i live and i feel like just like how you said i, I have no problem talking to a 14 year old kid i still see a lot of myself in them which is why when i did the partnership with them i try to make it as me as possible and as as 14 year old friendly as possible you're good man dude i appreciate you taking the time for this i'm sure there's lots of good uh pearls of wisdom for coaches and players and parents alike so we appreciate y'all as always and, and good luck this year thank you for having me on eric